Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Interesting as we move the conversation, and this was pretty much all the chatter last week, and I'm sure it will be this week as well, as uh, a limited number of uh, COVID-19 vaccines are coming into uh, into Canada. Obviously, we know what the situation is there and, and how Canada has fallen behind in, in its vaccination. That being said, the procurement minister said over the weekend that coming up next week, so some shortages this week, but coming up next week, uh, things will slowly start to uh, ramp up again. And uh, again, with the prime minister uh, promising that by the end of March, uh, all of these uh, vaccines will arrive, which, you know, kind of creates another scenario when you think about it, because these supply chain scenarios, they're bet up, they're set up to have, you know, a supply coming in and then the distribution and then obviously into the arms of Canadians. When you keep slowing down and speeding that process up, obviously it screws up the distribution uh, chain. So what happens if, you know, we keep getting dribs and drabs coming in through, uh, like we have January and February, and then all of a sudden in March, boom, all of these vaccinations like show up on our on our doorstep. We're expecting six million by March uh, 31. However, the schedule between now and then is in- incredibly inconsistent. So what happens if we end up with a whole pile of this stuff uh, on our doorsteps and the provinces? Uh, just waiting for this train wreck because, uh, again, no matter how prepared you are for dis- a distribution system, if you're getting that much supply at one time, it's going to create a situation. So let's bring in uh, Dr. Joel Lexchin, uh, Professor Emeritus School of Health uh, Policy Management, Faculty of Health, York University, and a former consultant to the federal government and the World Health Organization and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you very much. I've been vaccinated. There you go. Emergency department. Perfect. So once or twice? Twice. No, there you go. Perfect. So um, obviously we found ourselves where we are with the shortages and, and, and for various reasons and such, which we've, we've been over many times. Are you concerned that all of a sudden we're going to get a mass influx of vaccination all at once? And, and how disruptive is that to a, to a supply chain? How difficult is it going to be for the provinces to manage that, uh, no matter how prepared they are? Well, let's, let me back up for a minute. Um, given what we've just heard over the weekend from South Africa, where they found out that the AstraZeneca vaccine isn't real, it doesn't seem to be effective against that um, variant that's circulating in the country. Um, now, that's not the vaccines that we're going to get here in Canada. We're getting the Pfizer and Moderna ones by the end of March. But um, there isn't really any good data as to how effective they are against the South African variant, and then there's the Brazilian variant. Um, so we have to we have to hope that these vaccines are going to be effective. Otherwise, they may just be sitting around in storage, as South Africa is doing with the AstraZeneca one. Um, but if they come, if they are effective, and they come in these large numbers, then um, we're going to have to figure out, first of all, 4 million are the Pfizer vaccine, um, which requires the very cold storage, minus mm-hmm. 70 degrees centigrade, which is even worse than what we get in Canadian winters. Mm-hmm. Um, so are there going to be enough of the cold storage um, facilities around? Or are we going to have to do what we did in, in December and early January and vaccinate people in just our 
keep the vaccines in hospitals and people have to come into the hospitals, that would certainly make the situation much more difficult because you have to worry about transportation, um, people take getting time off from work. Um, the Moderna one is less of an issue because it only requires minus 20 degrees centigrade. Um, and the Moderna one is being shipped out to um, various places like um, long-term care facilities. Um, but even there, we have to um, look at how things are going to be distributed. Other countries have been engaging um, retired or semi-retired healthcare workers, bringing them back out into the um, into to working to help um, expand the number of vaccine distribution or vaccine um, administration places. Um, I am not aware of any province in Canada that's doing that's actively doing that. Uh, you mean planning for a mass shipment? No, planning to recruit people. Oh, recruits, who, um, right. Nurses who are, have retired, doctors who have retired, pharmacists who have retired, um, those sorts of people. There are probably a large number of them who, and I mean, there's a little bit of training required for vaccine administration, but these people could easily be trained given their medical backgrounds and we could expand the number of um, places where vaccines could be distributed or could be administered. Are you confident those vaccines will arrive? I guess, you know, that's a, you know, that's a crystal ball question uh, come the end of March. $64 million question. Yeah. Um, we've got right now there's talk that, um, that the European union is going to may impose export restrictions the um, Pfizer vaccine that we get is made in Belgium. The Moderna vaccine is shipped through Belgium. So if the European Union imposes restrictions, then we may not get the, the numbers that were promised. The United States um, currently is saying that they're not going to ship either the um, Pfizer vaccine, which is made in Kalamazoo, or the Moderna vaccine, which is made in New Hampshire, to anywhere um, until Americans have been vaccinated. So hopefully we'll get them, but um, that is still a question. Uh, I guess the good news here is that, you know, in the next week or so, if not already, most of the uh, the long-term care homes are, are finished with their second doses, so at least... Uh, that has that level of protection, uh, protection in the, uh, in the actual facilities, long-term care facilities. When the, when we first started talking about the new variants, uh, doctor, I, I remember even spokespeople from Pfizer and Moderna, they were concerned about them, but thought that their product would still have a, a certain amount of, of protection there, or a good amount of protection there. Are we re-examining that? Are things changing? Or is this just, you know, those vaccines are better with the variants than, say, the AstraZeneca is? My understanding, which is on this question, which is limited, is that there are ongoing studies um, to look at how these vaccines, um, how protective they are against the variants. The AstraZeneca one um, was only tested in a relatively small number of people in South Africa, I think 2,000, and the average age of those people was 31. Um, 
and it didn't protect against mild and moderate disease. They don't, didn't have enough people to know if it protected against severe disease, and even if it protects um, young people against severe disease, is it going to protect old people against severe disease? All those are unknown questions at this point, not only with the AstraZeneca one, but with all of the other ones. Um, as you mentioned, uh, with the African variant that uh, they have um, they have stopped vaccinating with AstraZeneca because they're not sure of the effectiveness of it. Would it not still be wise, as you said, rather than keeping that stuff in storage to at least administer uh, that level of protection? Um, that's a question that um, is, is reasonable to ask. And I guess the the problem is that if the vaccine doesn't turn out to be that effective, then have you um, eroded public confidence in vaccines in general? So that might be part of the reason why they're withholding, why they're not administering that one. Because if if that one doesn't work very well, then people may not come back for one that that does work well. Should the rest of the world uh, be doing the same thing, or should the rest of the world be using the AstraZeneca, considering that it doesn't uh, or may not be effective against this variant? And again, we certainly know that these variants are spreading in other countries, so um, certainly it will spread here. So why do that in Africa but not in the rest of the world? Well, I think that there are ongoing studies in other countries, Um, Canada, for sure, probably the United States, um, European countries, to see how extensive the South African variant is. Um, at this point, we don't really know. I think the first um, the first case of the South African variant was identified in Ontario over the weekend. Um, but if it's in one person, if that person didn't travel, and I'm not aware of of whether or not he or she did travel. But if they didn't travel, that means that it's starting to circulate in the community. Um, So until you have good data about that, I think it's reasonable to use the AstraZeneca vaccine if it turns out that the South African variant is becoming widespread, then maybe we should um, not use that one, although that one as yet isn't um, approved in Canada. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the country moving towards more of a reopening? Obviously, we're seeing case counts uh, go down, although obviously officials are very concerned about these other variants. But we are seeing new cases go down, positivity rates go down, uh, many provinces starting to loosen uh, regulations and such. Your thought of where we are now this February 8th? Um, we seem to be getting into a better place. Um, but as we've seen over the the fall, um, the virus is um, is very contagious. Um, we might, you know, let's what what's going to happen because of yesterday? How many Super Bowl parties were there? Um, are we going to see a spike again? If we see a spike because of the Super Bowl, um, then it may be too early to think about reopening. Um, because once we, people are, are getting um, very tired of these restrictions, I know that um, I want a haircut. 
Um, I haven't <laughs> had one in months. Um, and if we reopen, I'm going to go to the barber shop. Other people are going to do other things that they um, have been waiting to do. And that kind of sudden increase in activity um, may be um, enough to to get the virus um, going again. So I think if we do re- reopen, we need to do it very cautiously. And at the same time, um, we need to look at the places that are still having the outbreaks. And a lot of those are in um, workplaces where people have trouble socially distancing. Um, we need to take better, make sure that these people are protected. I think that part of that is that the provincial government should be um, mandating paid sick leave for people so that they can take time off. There was something in the Globe and Mail this morning about a large a survey that showed that large numbers of people with symptoms weren't taking time off um, because they could, they couldn't afford to lose the the pay. Dr. Joel Letchin has been with us, Professor Emeritus with School of Health Policy Management, Faculty of Health, York University. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Premier Doug Ford finishing up his uh, news conference today. And basically what's going to happen is the uh, emergency order that was in place will expire uh, this week. Tomorrow, I believe, uh, the stay-at-home order uh, in in place until the Tuesday after the Family Day long weekend. So that's next week. And that's for uh, the majority of uh, us in the Golden Horseshoe area. Toronto, Peel, and York will remain uh, for another seven days uh, in that uh, in that stay at home order. And then once you come out of those, you get back into uh, the color coded system that we were uh, following uh, just prior to the lockdown. And what that does is it allows uh, non-essential services to open up with a 25 percent uh, capacity. So uh, very much like it was last time it opened up, uh, hopefully a little bit more easing of restrictions to uh, to help businesses as uh, uh, non-essential allowed to uh, open up with 25% of their capacity. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Ryan Malo, Director of Provincial Affairs of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and is with us now. Ryan, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm doing all right, doing all right. So your thoughts on where we are and and, uh, the chatter of things starting to open up a little bit? So I think it's definitely a a positive step forward. I know speaking with, you know, business owners as little as two weeks ago, uh, a lot of them weren't weren't particularly optimistic. So that we've found ourselves in a position to reopen is good, um, but we are still very much on the very first steps on this long road to recovery. There's still a really long way to go. Um, especially if you're not a retail business, if you're a, a gym or a barber, um, there's still uh, still a long ways to go. So let's break this down a little bit. What does this mean for business? Uh, obviously, the stay-at-home order in effect until uh, after the family day long weekend, and then it's 25% uh, capacity. So how? what are the rules? What, what are the guidelines that uh, biz has to follow moving forward? So the good news is for the majority of the province, the non-Toronto, Peel, York regions, as of next week, generally speaking, you're going to be open and you're going to be open under the restrictions that you had under the color-coded framework. We're just going right. back to that. 
There are not a lot of major changes on it, with the exception of uh, red and lockdown zones. We'll see retail uh, more open than it was. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is is that you are still reopening to restrictions. So um, again, in, in a red zone, a uh, gym is open, but it's only open to 10 people max, um, which for a lot of gyms is just not really sustainable for them. Uh, in an orange zone, it's a little better at 50, but again, we're talking about businesses that usually, you know, fit 150, 200 people. Um, so they're still, still in a in a bit of a tough spot. Uh, again, it is better than what it was. Some people is better than no people, um, but we are strongly encouraging the province to remain agile on this and to you know expand capacity as those uh, health numbers get better as we bend the curve and as the situation allows. Obviously, this is a very slow and drawn-out process, uh, and you know, I guess the reasoning for that is so we don't end up where we back where we are. Is it important for small business to get this right and continue this, as opposed to uh, maybe opening it up for a month and then realizing, oh, heaven forbid, there's a third wave or another variant or something, and having to lock it back down again? Absolutely. And I know the premier mentioned that the province does have an, an emergency break mechanism in place where they'll, they'll go right back to the lockdown if that's what they need. Um, but that would be absolutely crushing for small businesses. The spring 2020 lockdown was difficult. We told the government going into the fall that a second lockdown would be the end of a lot of small businesses. That is what's happened. We did see it. Um, to reopen and to sort of stop and start and only go back down again would be absolutely crushing. So it is it is crucial from a business perspective to make sure that you know small businesses have all of their uh, health and safety procedures in place, that they're ready on the mask side of things, hand sanitizer and cleaning. Um, but just as important that we as as citizens, as customers, are also still doing all of those things and making sure that we are doing everything we can to keep those businesses open as well. Uh, I, I guess by now we thought we might be farther along in vaccinations. How 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 much a part of planning was that for small business? So I, I think it's really important because again, the the vaccination level of the populace is really going to drive those capacity limits. I mean, you've got some businesses like a you know a small hairdresser that you know can live with two or three people coming in. That's sort of what their their business normally is. But if you look at a, a nightclub or a music venue or a wedding hall, these spaces' entire business model is built around crowds. It's built yeah. about getting people back in. And realistically, to get back to that, we need the vaccine to come out. Um, and unfortunately for those businesses, I think it is still going to be quite some time uh, before we see them get back up to a healthy capacity again. What about 25% capacity? Is that a good place to start? I mean, should it be higher, lower? So I think it's definitely a, a good place to start. Again, especially for retailers, a lot of these guys are coming off of zero and in the GTA in particular, a lot of them lost their entire Christmas season. Uh, the difficult thing for them will be less having now having capacity to be open and more encouraging people to come out. One of the biggest frustrations that we've heard from small business owners when their doors are open is that the government is on TV every single day telling people to stay home. That doesn't work really well for a jeweler or a shoe store or, you know, a non-grocery or pharmacy setting. Um, and we really need the messaging both at the municipal and provincial level behind this to be, we are doing this because we believe it is safe to do so. You are okay to go out and shop at these stores. Uh, is that the concern moving forward, getting people back out or into uh, places of business? I saw a shot of a, a mall recently, and my goodness, it, you know, it looks like you could, uh, 
you know, you could run a foot race down the center of the place. Um, how, how concerned are you that people will be slow uh, on the draw here, or do you think people are just so, just so fatigued with all of this that, uh, yeah, we're ready, let's go? I mean, I, I think it'll depend a little bit on the sector. For example, I think like when the uh, the barbers and hair salons, and I'm very much speaking from personal experience here, um, but I think a lot of people will be chomping at the bit after being uh, stuck without a haircut for months on end uh, to go there. For retail stores, I think it's going to be a little bit slower, and that's part of the reason why it is crucial that we, we do get this right and not slip back into lockdown because consumer confidence is important. We know our members are concerned about it. We know it is going to lag. And the longer we can stay open, especially if you see uh, areas move from red down to orange or orange to yellow or yellow to green, um, as the situation improves, I think people will be more inclined to go out. Um, But we do need the time for it to improve. uh, And for again, for that confidence to build back out and have people comfortable going into their stores again. Uh, how much of this protocol, and whether it's the hospitality industry, retail, what have you, um, you know, survive, adjusting to a global pandemic and trying to survive a global pandemic has has really made people change the way they do things. Perhaps looking at things that were only an option before or weren't really attractive now become life-saving measures. How much of this, and, and you know, you're in these things for a few weeks, a few months, that's one thing, but this has been a year, almost over a year. It certainly will be over a year by the time it's all over with. How do you think this is going to change patterns and, and people's buying behavior? Are, are these protocol, these changes, uh, the way companies have had to to pivot, is some of that stuff going to stick? Is it going to stay? I think some of it will. I certainly think that uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, the small business, especially retailers' presence in the e-commerce sphere um, was pretty low. Um, I think that's certainly changed a fair bit. And I do think that from a consumer habit standpoint, online shopping, I mean, we saw back in last May hit, you know, Black Friday, November levels in the spring. Um, I don't think it's going to stay there permanently, but I do think it's, it's going to be consistently higher than normal. Um, I think you'll see, too, a lot of businesses pivot. You know, the, the guys who didn't normally do takeout may keep uh, the takeout element. I've seen a number of restaurants uh, move to maybe uh, sell some of their best uh, uh, menu items as meal kits. Uh, I think you'll see some of that sort of thing stay. Um, but I, I think, you know, depending on the sector, too, there will be some things that come back. You know, the, the hospitality industry in particular has been hit really hard. Um, but I don't think restaurants as a concept are are gone. Uh, I do think that yeah. we, you know, still crave that meeting place to grab a drink or a bite after work or for the game or whatever it may be. Um, the key will be, though, is what is what what spots that were our favorites are still there? Because while restaurants as a concept might might uh, not be gone, lots of individual restaurants may be gone. And that's one of the toughest industries to make it in. And you may see a lot of, you know, a lot of startup spaces and a lot of turnover, uh, a lot of start and stop there. And again, the more of that that happens, the longer it's going to take to recover. So the more that we can keep the guys who already exist going and in place, the better off we're going to be in the long run. Will there be businesses, new businesses that emerge from this pandemic, new things that we would have never thought about or ideas or, or products or, again, services, businesses that, that weren't there before the pandemic are here now and vice versa? Some businesses that are just, wow, it's made us realize this is obsolete. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, from the new business standpoint, I think the, the technology that has uh, come up during the pandemic is really uh, change things. Like, for example, we've seen a lot of gym owners by necessity because they're closed, but pivot to doing things like online fitness classes 
Um, yeah. Same with yoga studios, dance studios doing that as well. Um, I think some of that uh, embracing of the new technology and new ways to connect with people is probably here to stay. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure about dead and gone, but there are certainly going to be some industries. And again, I really think those crowd reliant ones that are going to take a much longer time to recover as we figure out how comfortable we are moving in crowded rooms again, or, you know, how comfortable we are with the, the 200 person wedding versus the, the 50 person wedding. As we move into summer, uh, vaccine or not, variants or not, uh, it, it seems things just, if we remember from last year, just opened up as, you know, obviously as we go inside, the, the chances of spread are greater. We move outside, it, it's less so. Uh, and it seemed through the summer that, that those were good times from last year <laughs> compared to where we are now. Uh, it's amazing that we look back at that and think that way. But um, there has to be optimistic in the sense that, and we talked about this prior to the holidays, like January, February, March would be the darkest hours of this until things start to open up a bit. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the hospitality sector in particular, I mean, there's, there's never going to be a replacement for indoor dining. That is what they need to come back. But I got to say, the municipalities across the province did a wonderful job uh, on patio programs last year and expanding patios and creating more uh, outdoor space. I know in, in my city here in Toronto, um, it was very common to walk down the street and see full patios. Um, so I know that a lot of cities are renewing that program again. So I think as the weather gets better, as we, you know, want to get outside the, the same four walls that we've been staring at all this time, it will start to pick up a, uh, a bit again. Um, what is crucial, though, is, is as, you know, the, the vaccines pick up, but as we go through the summer, that we make sure we're not repeating the same mistakes and fall into a third wave in the fall that we make sure that we are doing everything that we can to prevent that from happening and are doing it early. Um, because again, if the third wave comes in April or a third wave comes in September, um, it's going to be devastating for small businesses. So doing everything we can to prevent it. Uh, we remember uh, early on in, in the lockdowns and such, small businesses were being hurt, uh, felt unfairly treated, big box stores allowed to remain open. They were uh, allowed to, or they had to rather uh, close. Um, will they be able to recover? Will they begin, be able to, again, compete with uh, that type of format? So I'm certainly hoping so. I will say anecdotally, we did hear a lot from members about their communities rallying around them. I think a lot of people really did yeah. put that think local first around the holiday season. That was very encouraging. Um, but that being said, we're getting an even playing field in the middle of February, not November. Um, it's traditionally a slower time for retail around this time anyway. Yeah. Um, so it, it's going to be a while before that picks up and you get into, you know, the, the summer shopping season or back to school or, or next year or this year's holiday uh, come December. So it's going to be a bit of a wait and see for retail. I wouldn't expect it to come back quickly. Um, but at the same time, I would encourage, you know, if you are looking for a, a family member who's got, you know, a birthday in, in March sort of thing. Please do think local first. Again, they need you. Your community will be better for it. Everyone will be better for it. That was my next question, Ryan. Uh, what advice do you have for those consumers out there? Again, fatigue, not sure what to do uh, from small businesses. What would you say to them? That's, that's absolutely it. As we, saw, we saw a tremendous rally around shop local in the holiday season. I think that's great. Let's change it from a rally to a default position. Let's make it so that when we're looking for a gift or something for yourself, that you look local first. There's oftentimes a, a store that, that's going to have something that you're after. Um, and, you know, they very much want your business. Again, that money stays local. Those tax dollars go to your roads. They go towards your school. They go towards providing local jobs. 
um, and they go towards your community's identity. So I would say the, the number one thing we as consumers can do is just keep that uh, shop local first mentality going strong. Ryan Malo has been with us, Director of Provincial Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, talking about uh, reopening, as uh, the Premier has announced as we move forward, uh, pass through the uh, Family Day weekend. Ryan, thanks for the time and insight, as always. Be well. Good luck. Thanks. You as well. Here is today's Daily Commentary. In a country of extreme vaccine shortage, there is good news this week on some other COVID-19 fronts. New case counts continue to decline across the country, but we still have to be wary of new variants until the Prime Minister's giant vaccine portfolio finally arrives, whenever that is. The province is expected to open up somewhat this week, and kids are heading back to school except for the still hotspots of Toronto, Peel, and York. My 13-year-old Kurt was last into the Thompson lockdown and will be the first out in class today. After the first wave, he was quite excited to head back to class. This time, there was less enthusiasm. When I asked why, he said, the lunches are way better at home. COVID-19 is bad enough. Try adding a lunchbox, he added. Kind of like being in a quarantine hotel without the vacation. I thanked him for his civic contribution to the cause. Welcome back, kids. I'm Scott Thompson. Getting towards uh, tax time, uh, as uh, obviously we are into a new year, that's creating a lot of situation uh, for those who are working from home, uh, especially when it comes to taxation and such. But not only that, as we slowly start to transition back to uh, being in the uh, in the office, and for us, it's not going to be for a while yet, uh, what are our rights in, uh, when it comes to working from home? Um, can you decide when you go back or if you want to go back? Uh, how do you make those sorts of decisions and, and what is the template moving forward? To talk more about all of this, let's bring in employment lawyer Mackenzie Irwin, associate at Sanfero Tamarkin LLP, and is with us now. Mackenzie, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hi, yes, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. So this has created a completely different environment uh, for anyone, or for me- a lot of people, rather. Uh, what are some of the concerns dealing with this year of working from home? Yeah, well, I mean, the main point here, Scott, is really that um, your employees have very similar rights, whether they're working from home or whether they're working from the office. So I think the number one, it's been really, it's been a, a turmoil of a year for employers because employers really need to um, update all of their policies to ensure that they're, they're, you know, keeping all their employees safe and uh, maintaining all their employees' rights while they are working from home. So uh, obviously, there's a lot of you know. Some people are fatigued; they want to go back right now. Other people's are other people say, "No, I don't. I don't care. I don't want to go back at all." Um, so if you can do your job from home, would there be or could there be those that say, "I don't. I'm too scared. I don't want to go back." What are their rights? Yeah. So with this new government regulation, with the recent state of emergency. Um, that, that new gov- government regulation actually states that, you know, if it's possible for your employees to do their work from home, um, employers must allow them to work from home. Now, I know, you know, the state of emergency is, is in flux at the moment, so we're not sure whether or not as of today um, that regulation is going to be changed. 
But, um, you know, over the past couple of weeks, it has been the case where um, if, if it's possible to do your work from home, employers must make their or must permit their employees to do that work from home. And we should reiterate that uh, the uh, premier announced earlier on that he is going to let the uh, the emergency order lapse as of tomorrow. So it's just the stay at home uh, orders, not the uh, the state of emergency. What about um, changes in pay? Can, you know, an employer say, well, you don't have to come in now. You don't have to do this. So we're not going to pay you as much. No, certainly. I mean, any kind of changes in pay, you've got to be really careful there because, um Depending on, on the, uh, the extremity of the, the change in, in, in your pay, whether it's a, you know, a significant reduction in your pay, that could be grounds for what we call a constructive dismissal, in which case those employees that are getting a significant reduction in pay, um, they might be able to be in a position to um, consider their employment to be terminated and pursue their severance entitlements. So what about, uh, you know, if the company's feeling the pinch? I mean, there's lots of companies that aren't generating what they were, so therefore, I guess, can't pay what they were. Um, very much like a financial situation when a company says, you know, I got to let go so many employees because we're just not making what we were before. How, much, how does that come into play here? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, an employer's financial situation doesn't really um, change that employee's rights um upon termination. So if the employer, you know, if it's simply a matter of the employer not being able to afford um, to continue certain employees' uh, employment, they just, that employer needs to make the decision to actually terminate the employment, um, and, and which would trigger the employee's rights to severance. Um, you can't, employers aren't, aren't, don't have the power to just unilaterally reduce your pay. Um, and, and, and I, um, I must, preface that by saying, you know, a, a significant reduction in pay. So it's really going to come down to the facts of each situ- each individual employee's situation. But a significant reduction in your pay can result in a, in a constructive dismissal. Well, you know, we've talked many times on this show about, uh, you know, everybody talking about getting back to normal. Then we all realize after a year there, the normal will be a lot different than it was uh, going out of this than it was uh, getting into it. Um, how do you think this is changing or will change the workplace moving forward? I mean, some are saying you won't need the office space if more working from home, uh, more rem- uh, remote working and such. How is this going to change the, uh, the landscape of employment? Oh, I think it's undeniable. You know, Scott, there's, there's going to be a significant change in, in what uh, all employers are going to sit back and kind of have to reevaluate whether or not they need that office space and, whether or not it's, it's more effective to have their workforce working from home. But um, in terms of whether, you know, if, if an employer does choose to have the majority of their workplace work from home, they're going to need to reevaluate all of their p- policies because they still have that obligation to provide, um, you know, a safe and healthy work environment um, to ensure that their employees are are uh, working free from harassment or any kind of discrimination. All of those um, obligations still apply to those to their workforce, whether they're working from the office or from home. So, um, you know, a lot of employers are going to have to sit, are going to have to, you know, reevaluate all of those policies to make sure that they're they're still, you know, in touch with their employees from home and they still have the ability to provide them with what they need from home.
What about on that note? What about equipment? Um, you know, obviously, I'm broadcasting my show from home, so I've got a special piece here that is theirs that allows me to do this. But the rest of the stuff, I mean, it's my computer, it's my this, my that. Uh, if people are have you know their own home offices and and doing ver- you know things from there, whether it's you know this that or the other or printing or or some sort of presentation that's involved in that, at what point does it become the company's responsibility as opposed to uh, the employee's responsibility. I mean, obviously, it, it costs a lot to manage an office and, and supply an office. Certainly, yeah. I mean, it, it is the em- employer's obligation to make sure that their employees are have all of the equipment that they need in order to perform, perform their work from home. Um, it's going to be kind of a case-by-case basis. So, obviously, a small employer with, with uh, you know, with a small budget, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to provide certain uh, tools, for example, in order to facilitate the employee working from home. Um, so all of like having in, in order, that might be a situation where that employer has to have, you know, when things are safe and reopen is going to recall their workforce back to work because it's, it's more cost effective to have them all working using the same devices from the office. Um, but that's something that we're going to have to reevaluate once things are opening, totally open back up and we're all able to return to the, to the office. What about taxation and tax write-offs? Uh, obviously, we're hearing reports this is going to cost the government a lot as people write their stuff off at home. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I'm not a tax lawyer, so I can't really give you any tax advice, but there's definitely going to be a lot of um, new – people are going to want to check out the new um, – the new tax situations and what can and cannot be written off in terms of working from home tools and things that um, that has have helped everyone transition to a, a work from home workforce. Employment lawyer Mackenzie Irwin has been uh, with us, associate at Sanfuro to Mark and LLP, talking about working from home, what your rights are, and what we do with this moving forward. How much of this will become the new norm? Mackenzie, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Of course, the Super Bowl held yesterday and uh, many of us watching and eating and all of that sort of thing and uh, watching an upset. Uh, it was uh, fascinating. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Doing fine, thanks. So, um, you know, again, I'm not a massive NFL fan, but of course we watch this and, and, you know, we're into it and so on and so forth. Enough to know that Kansas City uh, was the favorite there. We're watching the first few plays of the game, and I said to my son, you know, uh, uh, Mahomes is, is throwing balls like it's the last minute of the game and he's in like some sort of Hail Mary mode. Uh, there's no way this can continue on for the length of a game with this sort of wild, wacky inconsistency. And then, of course, uh, they handed Brady the ball and he marched right back down, and, and that was that. And after the first touchdown, I thought, wow, if he can do that again, this game is over. And, of course, he did that. Uh, several times. Your thought on uh, on how the favorite didn't win? Well, you and I chatted last Thursday, maybe maybe Friday. Yeah, I Friday. I think. Yeah, we talked. And I would like to point out that I was one hundred percent wrong, uh, as yeah. per usual, which is why I hate doing predictions. Let me let me let me actually let me actually pull back a quote here, Scott. Yeah. Let me let me tell you. What you said something along the lines of. 
anyone could quarter. There's about a dozen quarterbacks in the league that could take the Kansas City team to a Super Bowl. This team is that good. So I was dead wrong about Kansas City. I thought they were going to be unstoppable. So that that part, uh, and it's like 26 years in a row I've got the Super Bowl wrong. <laughs> and I must I say, every time when I ask you to give a prediction, you always, you know, you're, you're kicking and screaming, and I'm forcing you to do it. I know, I know. It's all my fault. So so that part I was 100% wrong on, and I'm shocked, because I really thought Kansas City was by far the better team. And the way they had played up till that point, they really had been amazing. The part I was right about, I, I believe, was in what you just said. I, I have long believed, and we heard it yesterday from Tony Romo, who was doing the color commentary, this over-the-top discussion about Patrick Mahomes is ready to ascend to be the greatest quarterback of all time, or one of them. And I've long said from, for weeks and months now, the guy is surrounded by such amazing talent. Let's see what happens if the guys around him are merely mediocre. And we saw a bunch of drop passes, and we saw an offensive line that wasn't at its best because they were missing a piece. And suddenly you saw, I think, Patrick Mahomes as a guy who was a little bit exposed, and he's still a very good quarterback, but not Superman as he has been portrayed to be. And he was just, he was okay. He was okay. I mean, he's a good quarterback. He's just you know what? Tom? It was, I, I heard an interesting analysis of the game, and somebody said, uh, "Man, those were some of the best incompleted passes I've ever seen." In other yeah. words, that man, if they had just caught them, it would have been outstanding. It would have been brilliant. Sure, and if candies and nuts, well, what's that line about ifs and buts? Were candies <laughs> and nuts, we'd all have a great Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, like it, it's a he's a he's a terrific talent, but it, it was, and it's part of the hype, and it's part of the mechanism of trying to hype up the game and getting viewers and everything but he's not tom brady and he's not you know that much ahead or even ahead of a lot of the other quarterbacks in the league it's not a dump on him but it's just you know we saw when suddenly the guys around you are not the best team and playing at their absolute best suddenly you go huh hmm okay um you know, and, and look, this is not just him. Go to any athlete. Go to any athlete. Take any guy who, uh, you know, is a great, great player and say, okay, now let's put you on a mediocre team. Let's see how you do. And for most of the greatest athletes, there is one common denominator. They are a phenomenal athlete, but they also have great talent around them. And so, you know, what? look, it was, it was a fascinating thing. It is amazing that Tom Brady won again. I like it, it, it's just it's it's there's no words and and you know yes part of it a lot of it my point that I just made great athletes around him who played an amazing game and had a great game plan from the coaches and yet you say wait a second this is the same team with the same coaches not exactly the same team but largely that didn't even make the playoffs since what 2003 mm. and that looked like a mess last year and you bring in Tom Brady and it's amazing what not just his performance does, but the fact that you've brought in a guy that, you know, all the other players in the room look to and they go, wow, that's Tom Brady. I mm. better, I, you know, I better, I better be pretty darn good because we've got the greatest quarterback of all time now on my team. It's, he, he brought not just a performance on the field. I really believe he brought a, an attitude and a, a, a demand that you put in so much effort to keep up with him that it really changed things. 
What were your thoughts on his reaction after the game? Like, he's pretty much a steady, even-kill guy. He got pretty excited when it was obvious the momentum was going in their favor a couple of times. Um, but even at the win, it's like he's looking at it. It's like he's the look on his face to me said, I can't believe this happened either. And it was almost one of extreme humility, I thought. Uh, he didn't seem uh, uh, he seemed a little bit more reserved. I, I think he was I think he was almost embarrassed that this happened again. Well, I don't know if I, if he's embarrassed. Maybe embarrassed is the wrong word. But no, I mean, no, but I think he's like I think he's just like, yeah, I can't believe I'm still standing here. Still standing, still playing really well, still healthy. Um, you know, after the game, as they were talking on the podium, they said, like, where does this one rank? And he said, well, I'm not going to grade them. Well, other people can do that. And, and I think that, you know, your first championship, when you talk to most athletes who have won more than one, they would say their first one was unbelievably special because you've never experienced it before. And I would say that certainly in Brady's situation, and we've got seven to choose from, the first one is there, the one where they came back from 28-3 down to Atlanta and won, has to be in that mix, because that was just remarkable. But then this one, when you are now the oldest quarterback to win, when you are now, you passed Michael Jordan for total championship yeah. in your sport, when... You know, you've now won individual, not individually, but you have now won more Super Bowls than any franchise has won. This has got to be kind of in that mix as well. And yeah, he, he doesn't give the, the 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 look like he is just having the time of it. Well, he does, but you know, you know what you just described. Like he looks sort of coy almost in a weird mm-hmm. kind of way. But I, I I am sure that there is an immense level of satisfaction at the achievement at doing this at the age that he is. I mean, there are coaches in the league who are five or six or seven years younger than him. Hmm. I'm sure that uh, the first one and the last one will be the biggest ones and then the nicest one in the center somewhere. But this has got to be just like a cherry on the top of a cake with an awful lot of layers to it. Who? Well, remember what the discussion was at the start of the year, Scott, when he left uh, New England? All the discussion was, okay, now we're going to see, was Tom Brady a product of Bill Belichick's coaching, yeah. or was Bill Belichick a product of Tom Brady quarterbacking? Well, I'm not sure that we can whittle it down, because there's other factors involved. But I think if you're Tom Brady, winning a championship, at the very least, make sure that nobody is saying that it was entirely Bill Belichick, that you have not had your legacy in any way diminished. Because imagine if he'd gone to Tampa Bay and they'd finished three and 13 and he looked awful yeah he would have forever had that thing over his head that well he was just a product of the system that bill belichick built for him this is this this gives him really removes any element of the fact that he was just good because of belichick he now has won a championship i mean look I, i think wayne gretzky is the greatest team sport athlete of all time but wayne gretzky got the L.A. Kings to the final, but could never win them a championship. Tom Brady has now gone to a different team and has won them a championship. That's that's pretty cool. Scott Radley's been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. Make sure you're listening to him tonight. Scott, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.
This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.